Good Good morning. Hey, my name is Stephen Mitchell, and I am the lead pastor here at Cassidy, and it is a joy to be with you this morning, to be able to come uh, together after surviving tornadoes and ice and snow and sleet and everything that uh, we have in Missouri, uh, good times. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that we were able to come together uh, to celebrate today uh, the, the living God. And my hope is that if you are a visitor here first, I wanted to say welcome. I'm excited that you're here. Uh, but that if you are a visitor here, that you will find in us a community of folks who realize we're not perfect, uh, that we are trying to take uh, our, our next step toward Jesus so that we can be more like Jesus each and every day, so that we can grow in that perfection and, and that we would love to have you here with us to grow with us. Uh, if you're joining us online or via Facebook, or Facebook, uh, not Facebook, podcast, uh, we're not there yet, uh, but we're excited that you're here as well. Uh, so if, if all of you that are here, we've been talking about an, a sermon series for the past couple of weeks called Guardrails, which is what that video is about. And the idea is that we need guardrails and we need things in our lives that protect us from going into places that we shouldn't be. And so just for a recap, uh, a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limits areas. This shouldn't be so surprising. Not everybody here drives, but for those that do, this is a pretty obvious thing. And for those that have ridden in a car before, you've seen them on the side of the road. So it's not surprising. Guardrails protect us. Uh, Guardrails are placed in the safety zone. Uh, If you look on the screen, you'll see it's in the green area. So you hit the guardrail before you get to the danger zone. It's supposed to tell you, hey, you're, you're in a bad place and if you keep going, it's going to get worse. Uh, and so that's, that's what they're there for. And they minimize damage. So the car might be damaged, but nobody else is getting hurt, and you might not be as damaged. Uh, and the reason that we're talking about this as the sermon series is because the road isn't the only place that we need guardrails. We need guardrails in our lives in so many different areas. We, we can call them boundaries, we can call them whatever, but we can use them in our financial decisions. If we had guardrails in place when we were talking about our finances, uh, we might have, have missed or not had to deal with certain, certain problems that we ran into. Or relationships. Last week we talked about friends, how, how we need guardrails around our friends because our friends can help determine the direction we're going. And, and, and we've talked about, we're, we're going to continue talking about the moral implications of of having guardrails. Um, Like I said, last week we talked about friendships uh, and the relationship there. This week we're going to talk about intimate relationships. So if you're new here, you picked a great week to to come because we're going to talk about sex. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to Cassidy. Um, uh, Some some people out there are like, oh oh my God. I didn't know it was that kind of church. So it's, it's good. I'm glad that we're, we get to talk about it um, because sometimes a church is hesitant uh, around the subject of sex. But as Christians, we believe that God created sex and sex is okay. It's not dirty or gross. It's, it's, it's something that was created. I, I really, sometimes, uh, you know, when I get bored, I think about things. And sometimes I wonder, you know, how did that conversation go with the angels and God? God's like, I got a great idea. And the angels are like, what is it? Well, you got to wait to see. No, no. <laughs> so I don't know how that went. Um, it would be awkward uh, at best, but, but sometimes, sometimes the church is hesitant around this topic. So sex is not bad or dirty, but sex can be problematic. Uh, and so this, and my hope is that this doesn't surprise anybody. Nobody's sitting there going, wow, I didn't know. Well, maybe you're like, wow, I didn't know we were going to talk about this today. Uh, 
But maybe, maybe uh, my guess is you're not sitting out there going, I, I, I understand why we should be talking about it. Because the truth is we need to have guardrails in place to protect ourselves and to protect those we love. We need guardrails in place because they're important in our lives. And, and because we need to be honest here, the world around us is not concerned with our boundaries and not concerned with lifting, lifting up people who are single being pure and people who are in married relationships or in covenantal relationships staying faithful. The world isn't lifting that up. If you, and and this, if this is news to you, you don't watch TV, you don't read books, you haven't seen a movie, you haven't looked on the internet, you haven't watched the news, you haven't done any of those things because it is so everywhere that it's not even funny. Uh, it, 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 billboards, magazines, anywhere you look, you're going to see how, how sexualized the American culture really is. And it, so what we're going to talk about today is putting guardrails in place because although we believe in God and we recognize that none of us would be here without sex, um, we need to understand that we need to have limitations, whether we're in a married relationship or we're single or we're in a committed relationship, whatever it is, we need to recognize that we need to have guardrails. So hopefully we're all in agreement that guardrails are important um, and that this is going to be an awkward conversation. So it's going to be great. Uh, so I wanted to start out, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you want to open them up. If you don't have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you. We have Bibles for free right outside those back doors uh, on the cabinet set to your left, and that we offer those to anybody. Uh, but we're going to be taking a look uh, at two different sections. We're going to look uh, at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and then in a minute we're going to go and look, go back to Genesis and look in chapter 39. So if you want to get your Bibles ready, that's, that's great. Uh, I wanted to give us some, some information before we go there, though. So Corinthians, was, there was a church that St. Paul, who was a guy that started a bunch of churches, he started in a place called Corinth. And so he wrote a couple of letters to the Corinthians. Uh, and, and in those letters, some of the first letter is about how to live in this new life that you have received in Christ, how to, how to follow obediently the, the love that God has offered to you and, and stay in that relationship as well as you can. And so Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians six eighteen: flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. The, the difficulty with sexual immorality is that we carry it around. Uh, it's one of the places where we're uncomfortable beyond all others sharing that information with people. And Paul is telling the church in Corinth that sexual sin is on a whole different category. Now, I want to, I want to pause right there because I want to say that I think in the church, we have elevated sexual sin to like this deific or uh, hellistic uh, area that um, this is the worst of the worst of the worst. And, and I, I, don't, I don't think that that's the case. What Paul is saying is not that, that sexual sin is, is above every other sin. Paul is saying something that we already know, that sexual sin affects us differently than anything else. And here's why. I can tell you, I, I am, I am uh, hopefully, we've, we've had enough time that y'all have gotten to know me, and I am, I am glad to share all of the dumb things that I have done in my past. Well, almost all of the dumb things that I have done in my past. The, the truth is that, that there are things that I've done that I am deeply ashamed of, and most of them are because of that. 
And, and that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that you don't, it, it, it's not destructive just on the outside, but it destroys you on the inside. And so you need to be aware of that. That's what we're talking about. And this is not some uh, subtle way of talking about you know, any, any uh, sexuality issues that, that the Methodist churches, that no, nothing about that is what we're talking about today. I am talking specifically about sexual sin in, in regards to protecting ourselves in the covenantal relationships or as single people, how we live and follow the love that Christ offers to us. And so I want us to take a look uh, at one of, uh, one of my heroes. And the reason is because the world is, not, is, is celebrating sex, uh, and, and the church is the one place where we're like, whoa, we need, to, we need to settle down. We need to not be so engaged in that. So one of my heroes of the faith, it comes from the Old Testament. And, and, and it's mostly because of this story. I mean, he did some amazing things, uh, so don't get me wrong. But this story, I just love that it. it's an awkward story uh, in the middle. And so I'm going to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 39. Uh, so before we get there, I just want to give you a quick, quick overview of who we're talking about. This guy's name is Joseph. Now, Joseph, Joseph thought a lot about himself when he was a kid, mostly because he, you know, as parents, we say, oh, we don't have any favorites. Well, his dad really did. Um, his dad thought Joseph was the best, and Joseph was the youngest, and so the older brothers really didn't like that, and he had a lot of them. And so Joseph had this coat with many colors. Maybe you've heard that story. Uh, and he lorded it over. He had some dreams, and he shared his dreams with his brothers about how he was going to rule over them. And they were like, this guy's a clown. I don't really like him. And so he went out to see what they were doing. They were out uh, tending the flocks. Uh, a ways away from, from the camp. And so he went out to them and they saw him coming and they said, let's kill him. That's how annoyed with him they were. Now, one of the brothers decided, uh, maybe that's going a little bit too far. So let's back off just a little bit. Let's throw him in that pit over there. That's a lot better than killing. But eventually they sold him into slavery. And so he goes off uh, into slavery and, and they take him all the way to Egypt and he's living now in Egypt as a slave in Potiphar's house. So Potiphar is his master. And interestingly, because God is with Joseph, even though he's running his mouth around his brothers, uh, God is still with him. And so everything starts to be blessed in Potiphar's house. Everything starts to go well for Potiphar. And so Potiphar turns more and more control over to Joseph. And that's where we're picking it up. And just, uh, we're going to read from Genesis 39, verse 5b. Now I'm going to give you a, this, this is insight into scriptural numbering, right? There is no B if you look at Genesis 39, 5, uh, but because I'm not starting at the very beginning, it's going to be B. So there you go. It's free. You get that for free. I had to pay a lot of money for that. So here we go. Reading from, from the, the story of Genesis. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. 
How then could I do such a wicked thing against and sin against God? And although, uh, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her, and or even be with her. Uh, on the day he one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the other household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, "Come to bed with me." But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. This is why he's my hero. This is such a weird story, right? As Americans, we're like, "Wow, she was pretty aggressive." Uh, simmer down there, Miss Potiphar's wife, whatever your name is. Um, but. One of the things we learn is that Potiphar's wife, really, she could have used some guardrails, uh, maybe a whole highway full of guardrails um, just in this one place because, because she is, and, and for us in America, this is kind of flipping the script, right? She is being very aggressive and we don't normally hear about that, not that it doesn't happen, but we don't normally hear about that. But we can learn something powerful from this story. And I love the language that they use here. So here's the deal. Potiphar's wife is, is very attracted to Joseph and makes that known and is trying to push Joseph into, into this relationship. And he says, no, I don't want to do it. So he's got some kind of a moral compass that says that this is wrong, which we would hope so. And he says, I don't want to sin against the man that is my master, and I don't want to sin against God. I don't want to do that. But she keeps pushing. And I love what it says because it says that he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And there's the guardrail right there. He's put a guardrail in place to protect himself. So that's not a euphemism or anything like that. What he's saying is not only did he refuse to sleep with her, but he wouldn't be alone with her because he wanted to protect himself and to protect her. So he was, it was important to him to have this guardrail in place. But my favorite part of the whole story is that when he was cornered, when the guardrail has crumbled and she has grabbed onto his cloak, what does he do? He flees. He runs away and he leaves his cloak in her hand. Now that turned out to be a bad choice, but, um, but it's amazing to me just how frequently we can escape falling into a trap of sin if we just ran from it. And that's the point that we see there is we could run from that. And, and, and so the reality is, or the, 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 the truth is the point of a guardrail is to light up our conscience, to tell us when we're getting close to the danger zone, to tell us when we need to not do that. So before we veer into the danger zone, we recognize this. And so my hope is that throughout <coughs> this conversation, we'll understand that fleeing is better because you can e do one of two things. You can either flee or you can flirt. And I love alliteration, so this is so good. Um, but here's the deal. And, and I don't mean that the, in your head you're going to flirt with the person that, that is uh, talking to you or that kind of thing. But if you don't flee from it, you can flirt with disaster. Not necessarily a different person, but you can flirt with disaster. And we can do all, we, we recognize that relationships, um, in, in, that there are some relationships that we have that are in potential danger. And you may be saying, well, which, which relationships are dangerous, pastor? You know, you already know where there's danger, where there is potential for that. And I don't, I, uh, so what guardrails do you need? I don't know. I can't tell you what guardrails you need in your life. What I can do is I can share some of the guardrails that I have in my life and some of the reasons that I have in place. One of them I've already talked about. For me, 
I try very, very hard to have uh, to use the Billy Graham rule, uh, a modified version of the Billy Graham rule. What that means is I try not to meet one-on-one uh, unless it's in my office and the door is open with, with a person of the opposite sex. I just choose not to do that, not because I need to demean them, but because I'm, I'm protecting them from me and me from them, because I'm putting a guardrail in place that says this could potentially be awkward or, or, or bad, and so I don't want to do that. I try not to ride in a car alone, just me and somebody else that's, that's of the opposite sex. It's just, just the way that I try to do things because I take that seriously, and I don't want it to be awkward and have, have some conversation that feels like we're going in one direction when I, that's not exactly what we're trying to do. So that's just one that I do for me. Another one, and this one, you, you, some of y'all are going to be like, well, that was way more information than I wanted to know. Uh, some of you are like, oh, I'm excited. Um, I have a buddy who, he's the one that sets up my internet filter. He has the password. He sets it up. I don't know what it is. But in my house, when you get on the internet, I'm protected, not by myself. I don't have to rely on me because I have asked somebody else to step into my life to stand in that gap with me so that I'm not alone. And that's another trick about this. Sometimes guardrails are people that you put in your life to have conversations, to keep you on track, to hold you accountable. That's one of my guardrails that I have. Uh, another one is uh, that I, I began to and this was years ago, I began to start to realize the intrinsic value that every single person had. So I stopped seeing people as, as um, this idea or this hypersexualized idea, and I start seeing everyone as a child of God. And if, if we can, for me, that was, that was huge. I was able to see people for who God saw them for. And that, that breaks down not just sexual barriers, that also breaks down barriers of uh, your economic status. I don't care. Jesus loves you, so I want to love you the best that I can. It breaks down barriers with people that are uh, addicts and people that are known criminals that I don't care. I want to love you the way Jesus did. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, please come into my house and take everything you want. That's not what I'm talking about. But it, it's viewing them as the, with that value that God has assigned to them rather than the value that I have. So what, what, are, what are some of the ideas that you can have? And I, I want to throw out some, some stuff that, um, that I have seen in my own life, not, not just from me, but from coworkers that, that, um, that were going down a slippery slope, and some of them uh, just went all the way down that slope, and it, it really ruined their lives, their marriages, their families. Uh, so one of them is if you find yourself walking into the office and going left by a desk that has your friend, their desk, that's probably a bad sign. When your desk is over on the right-hand side, but you're walking past them because you like to see them, that might be a good warning sign for you. Um, if you think to yourself, they, wow, they just get me. They just get me, unlike my spouse. I'm going to put, put you up right now. You're in the danger zone. You're not at a, at a guardrail. You are in the danger zone. You need to recognize that. Uh, if you're spending time on the internet looking at stuff, things that you shouldn't be looking at, uh, or if you're thinking about spending time on the internet, that, that's a place where you need guardrails. You need to be protected. Single folks, 
now, I want to talk to y'all for a minute because a lot of times in the church, uh, we, we, can, we just remain pure. Good luck. I mean, that's kind of the extent of it. What I want to do is I want to say that it's important uh, to put guardrails in your life too uh, so you don't get a pass. We're going to talk about it because I know, just like me, you have the opportunity to make dumb moves every day in your life. And if you have guardrails in place, they limit how much dumb things, how many dumb things you can do. Guardrails keep you safe from the false intimacy that can come from sex. So if you don't have guardrails in place, then in the heat of the moment, you may do something you regret forever. In the heat of the moment, you may do whatever it is that feels good, because that's what society says. Whatever feels good, let's do that. So good, yay! And then you're sitting there going, what have I done? And maybe it's something that, that is going to hurt and harm those that you love, yourself, and everyone around you. So if you don't have guardrails in place, we have some danger uh, that's there. And what's interesting to me is there is one place on earth that seems to stand in opposition of this, and that's the church. Society is like, oh, it's all good. Do whatever feels good. And the church is like, no, we need to uphold some values. We need to say that covenantal relationships are a high priority. We need to say that being single is not, is not a free pass to do whatever you want, friends with benefits, all of those types of things. That's not what we're after in the church. What we're after in the church is to recognize who we belong to. And here's, here's what's interesting. V value is assigned not necessarily just by uh, what the item is, but by who owns it. I don't know if you heard about this, but a few years ago, there was a guitar that went on sale for... It, it, originally, the guitar was $1,800. It was a Fender Stratocaster, if you really want to know. Um, and it went on sale. Uh, it was sold to the original owner for $1,800. Uh, later, it was being resold for over a million dollars. I think it was $1.7 million is what it sold for at auction. Now, some of you are sitting there going, man, I wish I had that guitar because uh, you could resell it, right? But the, what's interesting is whose it had been before. There was this musician, you may have heard of him. His name's Eric Clapton. Uh, he maybe one of the greatest guitarists that's ever lived. It was his guitar. He had played it live on stage. He had autographed it and given it away. And this was something that had now hit auction. So what was interesting to me is $1,800 guitar did not improve to be a $1.7 million guitar. The value was in whose guitar it was. The ownership showed value. So because it had been Eric's guitar, that made the guitar worth way more money. Now here's the reality, friends, and I want to share this with you. You have been remade in the image of Jesus Christ. You are image bearers. That means you are owned by God himself. The Father of all creation loves you enough to impart you and imbue you with his Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. That makes us of far more value than just being, you know, regular people. I, I, I know it sounds weird, but God has, has called us into a special relationship. And if we are His, if we are truly His, and we truly are bearing His image, if all of this is real, then that means that the things that we do are, 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 are things that, that we need to carry with us, that, that, that we carry God's image in ourselves, and we need to separate ourselves from all of this brokenness and, and realize whose 
we are so that we can have the advantage of God with us and listen to the presence of the Holy Spirit and put guardrails in place and live our lives along the lines that God wants us to. And, and my hope is that we can, we can do this together. We can recognize as a church, we can come together and we can lift each other up. We can hold each other accountable and we can move forward in the direction that God wants us to. That we can help one another establish guardrails if it's needed. That we can help one another by saying, hey, I think uh, you're, and this is not a free excuse for just going and being a jerk to somebody because I know somebody's like, oh, I've been waiting my whole life. Uh, but it's the idea that we can help people stay on the right path, that we can help them to understand. Now, I want you to understand uh, that, that this is not just me, but this is the idea that God has put in us, that, that we are His people called by His name, and my hope is that you will walk along with us. Now, maybe you're sitting out there and you're like, man, this guy is crazy. Uh, I don't need guardrails in my life, uh, and maybe I'm the only one. Maybe, maybe I'm just that jacked up uh, that I need all the guardrails I can get but my guess is that I'm not the only one. My guess is that isn't the case, and we could all benefit from having guardrails around our intimate relationships, not only for ourselves, but also for our loved ones. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the gift that you give us in Jesus, for the grace that we receive that, that even when we do dumb things, that you're right there with us. Forgive, forgive us of the things that we have done that have separated us from you and, and draw closer to us. Help us to be more like Jesus in, in everything we do. Help us to recognize our need for, for boundaries and guardrails in our lives so that we can draw closer to you because everything that we put in place is a step toward the one who created us because it's a step away from brokenness. Father, you know that, that this isn't about us being just better people on our own. It's about us being more surrendered people. So help us to surrender our will to you. Help us to surrender to your greater plan. Help us to live our lives in such a way that they bring glory to you. We ask this in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.